All right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. John chapter 17 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 17, we'll start in verse 6, and we will get there here uh, shortly. We are currently in week 3 of our series, The Prayers of Jesus, where we're just looking at at how Jesus prays. I mean, the cross is on the horizon. It's coming uh, very, very soon, and uh, you see Jesus in this moment just stop and does do what he does often, and it's just go to the Father in prayer. Commune with his dad through prayer. And so that's where we're at right now. We'll we'll kind of build here in a moment from last week. Um, But the upcoming plan for us, so we will look this week uh, at this prayer and finish out chapter 17 here. Um, We'll look next week at a prayer that Jesus prays. um, And then the last Sunday of the month, just something that's just been stirring on my heart, I think would be good for us as a church to to hear from the Word of God um, as we celebrate 14 years this month. So um, that's kind of the outlook for the next few weeks of where we'll be and what we'll be looking at and and working through as it pertains to uh, the proclamation of God's Word. And so last week, uh, we just looked at Jesus praying for his immediate disciples. Those 12 men that he has poured into over the years, um, those men he stops in the moment of this prayer. And he begins to pray for them. And as he prays for them, what we see is this deep, weighty prayer where he asked God to leave them in the world. That, the, that, that he knew that the world would be against them, that he knew that there would be difficulties, he knew that there would be struggles. And in the midst of that, Jesus doesn't say, take them out or, or let's go, boys, you're coming with me. No, he says, I'm going to leave you here. And then what he does is he prays for them while they're here. He prays and he asks God to, to protect them from the evil one, from Satan, from, from the, 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 the wiles of the devil. He asks them to, to pr- be protected. And then he also prays that they would be set apart for truth. That, that the truth of God would be so real and so relevant in their life, in their, their walk, that, that they would be set apart, that this world, when they look at them, this world sees and they, they, they know that there's something different about them. That truth has been revealed that only comes from God. So Jesus wanted them to be known for in this world because of the truth because of the truth that they believed, because of the relationship that they walked in with each other based on that truth. He wanted unity with those disciples. He wanted them to be be together and to be one. And so if you missed any of that sermon last week, you can catch that on our, our website. But this morning what I want us to do is I want us to continue to look at how Jesus prays for his future disciples. Not for those 12. He moves from there and he he's going to talk about to the Father about us as he prepares to go to the cross. And so last week I talked for a brief moment in my intro of, of how, man, it just does something for me when somebody tells me they're praying for me. It, I mean, it just, it, it excites me. It gives me confidence. It gives me this boldness. It encourages me like none other when someone says, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. And I, and I say this every Sunday. I get a text from a family member saying, hey, praying for you. And praying God uses you. Praying God is glorified through you. And, and, and it just does something in me. But what does something in me all the more is when, when people pray for me. And, and hear me, I've, I've heard and I have felt those prayers over these last few weeks with everything that we've been walking through with this, this premature baby um, that God has gifted us with. I, I, I've, I have felt that and, and I appreciate that and I want that not just for that, but just, just, I mean, if you don't have anybody to pray for, man, this guy right here can always use prayer. Anybody that knows me knows that. This man right here needs it desperately. But what really, really excites me is the fact that the Son of God, this morning we're going to look at, prays for us. He prays for us. God in the flesh, in this moment of agony, in this moment of, 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 uh, of the cross on the horizon, he pauses and he begins to take the focus off of himself and he begins to pray for us. For us, 
He stops what he's doing and prays for us. On our behalf, talks to his father. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, is that, is that not phenomenal? Is that not amazing that the God of the universe wrapped in flesh and blood like you and I, knowing death is imminent, is in front of him, stops and begins to pray for us. And so I just think we need to home in and we need to pay attention, especially what he's going to ask for us uh, before his father. So I'm going to ask you if you join me one more time as we pray, uh, and then we'll prepare ourselves to jump into John 17. Father, we love you, Lord Jesus. We, uh, we thank you and we praise you for this morning, God. We, we pray and ask God that you uh, move in a mighty way. Father, we pray and ask God that you just speak to the hearts of the people here this morning, those that will be watching online, God, that you just, uh, the proclamation of your word, Father God, uh, coupled with the Holy Spirit, would just work in a mighty way to save the lost. God, to encourage the heart that is in desperate need of you this morning, maybe the heart that feels hopeless or the heart that feels hurt in this place or the heart that is just struggling, Father, that, that it would be everything that they need this morning in this moment. And God, even for the heart that seems to have it together, God, that this would be a reminder of your faithfulness, of your goodness, oh, of our great need for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, as we celebrate this month, 14 years to thank, you've allowed us to be around, proclaiming your good news. Father, we praise you. God, we ask again this morning in this place, you move as you see fit. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're going to see Jesus this morning transition his prayer to, to focusing on his future disciples, us. And if Jesus believes it's something important enough to pray about, I believe it's something that we better take notice on. So let, let's jump in. John 17, we're going to start in verse 20. John 17, verse 20, he says this. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only. The only there is his 12 disciples. Those that he's poured into, those that he has walked with over the last three years. I don't ask for these only, his 12, but for all those. Who's the those here? The those is us in 2020. Those there is, is everybody who's come to know Jesus and be a follower and a disciple of the resurrected Christ from uh, uh, the ascension to, to now. Uh, from the moment that he defeated the grave and the proclamation of who Jesus was and our hearts are awakened to that reality 2,000 years ago even. That's who Jesus is praying for here. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so I, I just love little nuggets like this. I, I just love little things here that just kind of just present themselves that if we're not careful, we'll just wax over. But it's almost as if Jesus is viewing this present time as future. As he prays and as he talks to his father, it's almost as he's in this moment praying, he's not just there in this moment praying, but he's already in another place in that moment as well. I mean, just look at how he says it. Who, who will believe in me through their word? He's praying for them. It's like he, he knows something. He's aware of something greater. He's, he's aware of all of those men and women who will take the name of Christ, who will become followers of Jesus, who will, will grow in their faith. He knows what this world has for them. He knows that this world despises. He knows that this world can't stand. He, he knows what's coming for them, and he begins to pray. And so I just like to use words like splendor and glory I mean, we just talked about God's glory a few weeks ago. But like I said, I just want to point you to little nuggets like this in the Scriptures. And my hope is that it will cause you to just marvel at the grandeur of our God. That it will cause you just to get lost in those moments. That it will cause you to fall more and more in love with Him. 
And so what we see here, what I believe is happening here in this moment as he's praying in that physical moment, but he's all also present in another moment, knowing good and well what will happen. Pandemic, election, all of those type things that's coming this year for us. I mean, he is well aware of back then in this moment when he's praying. He knows the persecution that the church is going to face. He knows in, in communist communities where we are countries where we try to infiltrate with the gospel that lives will be taken as a result of the proclamation of, of the gospel. He's aware. He knows. And what does he do? He's, he's already in that moment, already praying, already aware. And so what we see here, I believe, is just the omnipresence of God, the omnipresence of Jesus. And so omnipresence, the word omni just it originates from the Latin and it means all and so, so what we believe is that God is omnipresent, meaning that God is, is all present everywhere at all times. So in this moment as he prays, it's almost as if he, he flashes to that, he sees that. God is present in that moment and also present in another moment. God is present to all ranges of both time and space. So although God is present in time and space, He's not locally limited to any time or any space. It doesn't bound him like it does us. God is everywhere and in every now. That's our God. Listen, church, there's no molecule. There's no atomic particle that's so small that God is not fully present in. There's no galaxy so fast that he doesn't circumscribe it, that he doesn't hold it in the very palm of his hand. See, God is not limited to time and dimension like we are. Let's let this sit here for a moment and think about this. Our God, our Savior Jesus is still in the yesterday. So whatever it is that you walked through yesterday, whatever it is that you went through yesterday, He is still very present there all the while being here in the now. As we believe that He is here amongst us, He is here with us, He is here living in us, He is here in this moment. And the great news is He's not just at 350 Old Furnace. Like churches don't stagger their stars so we can make sure that Jesus gets to show up. No, no, he's here right now in the midst of us as believers as well as every church in Spartanburg County, as well as every church in the nations. God is present in those moments all the while as he's present in the now as he is still in the tomorrow. I mean, let your brain try to wrap around that for a second. The fact that God was in your yesterday and he's still hanging out there all the while being present here right now with us, all the while knowing exactly what's going to happen to you tomorrow at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, tomorrow afternoon, the good news, the bad news, whatever it may be. He is already there making a way in the midst of that. And what I know is that we can't fully grasp that. We don't get that. Why? Because we're bound by time. We're bound by this moment. We are here in this moment and we can't be anywhere else. I know that we can fade away for a moment or we can uh, uh, think of or we can dream of or we can get lost in that. But the reality is this, is that we're still here in this moment and Jesus is not like that. And one of the things that I love whenever I look at this scripture, that's what we see Jesus doing. It's almost as if he's here now, but he's also there tomorrow. They're 2020, well aware of. And I just want you to get this. That's who's praying for us. That's who in this moment has paused to pray for his disciples, his immediate, and now he's turned his attention to us following him here today in 2020. 
That's who is praying for us. Jesus is praying for those who will be saved and become disciples in the future. That's the you and me. And that just blows my mind. I mean, think about that for a minute. Look at how long ago this was, and he's praying. I mean, I don't know how you do in your prayer life. I don't know if you struggle or if you kind of trug along or if there's, there's, there's seasons of goods and seasons of bads. But, but, but think about this for a moment. This prayer was prayed over 2,000 years ago. Jesus prayed this for us. And we're going to see it come to fulfillment. We're going to see it come to fruition. We're going to do better at it some points than others. But Jesus praying for us. And so I don't know where you're at in your prayer life, but I just hope that encourages you to pray. The, the fact that there, this prayer is still being answered 2,000 years into the making. And it'll continue to be answered. If we go 3,000, 4,000, if we make it 5,000, this prayer is going to be a prayer that God takes notice of and he answers and he moves in. So I don't know what you're praying for this morning. I don't know what God has stirred in your heart this morning. I don't know what you're desperate for this morning. I don't know what's happening in your life this morning. But I just want to encourage you to pray. I mean, because the result of this prayer is still being seen 2,000 years later. I mean, can you imagine if we would pray like that, church? Believing that God's going to move in a mighty way, not just here and now, but in the future, years, decades down the road? So I just want to encourage you with that. I just want to encourage you with that, that reality that we need to be a church that prays, that we need to understand that God is everywhere at all times, and he's going to move for his glory, for his honor. So I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but like, like when I read this scripture, when I look at this, there's something that just sticks out to me there in the end. Th that we are recipients today because of this prayer. That we are recipients today because of something that happened, something that took place in someone else's life. Look at me again, 20, here at the very end. He says, but he's not just praying for those who will believe in me, or who has believed, he's praying for those who will believe in me through their word. So, so he's praying for us because of the, their word, his current disciples. What are they going to do? They're going to share testimony. They're going to preach. They're going to proclaim. They're going to talk about all that pertains to Jesus and all that he has done and accomplished in them and before them. That's what they're going to do. And as a result of that, people are going to believe. And it's going to be a domino effect. So, so they're going to talk about it. Somebody's going to hear and they're going to believe. And then what's going to happen? That person's going to talk about it. And, and then somebody else is going to hear and believe. And then that person's going to talk about it. And somebody else is going to hear and believe. Until it gets to 2020, that's how we get here. Why? Because somebody's talked about it. Because there's been testimony that's been shared. There's been word that's been proclaimed. And so I guess my question is this. What do we do when we hear or see something that's amazing? I don't know if you're aware of this. But last week, about an hour before church starts, my phone starts blowing up. It starts going crazy. Oh my gosh, an earthquake. It happened. We're in Spartanburg County and we felt that did it, there was a tremor. Did you feel the building shake? I mean, I kept getting these over and over. Oh, I swear it was a 10 point something. I'm like, I didn't feel anything. And then what happens? You jump on Facebook and oh my gosh. Uh, you would have thought Jesus had come back, or he's, I mean, he's hanging out there in the sky right now, ready to get us. I mean, it's just, I mean, it was, I mean, we were going nuts over this earthquake thing. And I'm not trying to downplay the fact that there was an earthquake. Okay, that's cool. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not cool, but that's crazy. We don't do earthquakes here. California, okay, not here. But there's this earthquake, and we feel it, and what do we do? We, I mean, we, we tell everybody. 
Oh my gosh, my window shook. My dog rolled over. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's like it's all over the spectrum. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, it's everywhere. But what do we do? We tell about it. We're sharing what happened. We're, we're letting know. We're giving testimony of what we experienced, what we, we saw. And I guess as I think about that, church, that needs to be us. We need to talk about what amazes us, what catches us off guard, what gets our attention, what we care about, what we love. We need to talk about all of that. We need to testify of all of that and proclaim all of that. Well, because that's the natural outcome in our life, right? When we see something that just catches us off guard, or we see something that's pretty cool, we see something that's pretty amazing, if we don't have our phone, we're going to tell about it. We're going to take a picture in our mind of what happens. It's just a natural outcome. So uh, my thinking is this. Maybe we need to reevaluate or reprioritize the things that we love as maybe to put Jesus in his rightful place and be aware of all the amazing, supernatural, crazy things that he really does in our life on a day-to-day basis. Maybe that's the problem. So yeah, tell about earthquakes. And brag about your kids. Talk about your teams. Just don't tell about them more than you do the splendor of all that Jesus is to you and has done in you and through you. See, I believe, church, we need to be intentional with this. We need to be intentional as we tell, as we talk. We, because the thing that we have to understand is that there's somebody listening to us, whether we're aware of it or not, and they're going to hear of us doing the exact same thing that we see in this scripture here where he says, through their word. So through our word, somebody will either come to know Jesus or not want anything to do with Jesus. And so what we see is that there's an intentionality here that we need to tell people about Jesus because I don't believe it's enough just to be nice and sweet. Hold the doors every time, absolutely. Carry out the, the, the groceries for somebody, yes. Pay for them in, in behind you at the drive-thru, absolutely, that's awesome. But we've got to be intentional with telling people about Jesus. We've got to be intentional about telling what amazes us and what catches us off guard and what's so grand about him. And God really hit me a while back with this. Whenever um, I was at a gas station, as I was at a gas station, I've, I've got my little boy there, and he's in the back seat, and we're filling up. And as we're filling up, this guy comes wandering over and says, hey, man, you just never know what to do at a gas station when somebody approaches you like that. And, I, and like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a fighter, but I got, like, I've got an, an eight-year-old back here, so I've got to guard and protect now. And so I'm like, so I puff up, I'm like, yeah, man, what's up? Like, I'm like this little, like, whatever kind of guy, like, doing my gas, like, twirling my gum, whatever I'm doing. I'm just, and, and so I'm like, what's up? And he's like, you don't have to have a few bucks for some gas, do you? I said, brother, I don't. I said, but what I'll do is this. You pull your car over here, I'll fill it up for you. You'll do that? Yeah, man, I'll, I'll do that. Pull it over here and I'll, I'll fill it up for you. So what does he do? He gets in his car and he pulls it over. And I, and, and I always like this because now there's going to be some tension just in case they don't need gas. So this is going to be good. Like, so I'm, so I'm, kind of, I'm like, okay, maybe get ready for confrontation if I need to. I'm, I'm like getting amped up and I'm swole back up. and I'm, So... But the dude needs gas, and so I get to fill it up. And before I do it, I said, I'll fill it up if, if I can talk to you for just one second. Okay. I mean, that's a great trade-off, right? 40 bucks for gas. I got to listen to this crazy guy talk for a second. And I said, so dude, this, this is why I'm going to get you gas. And this is, church, this is how easy it is to just slide the gospel right into stuff like this. If, if we'll just stop for a moment and be aware of what's happening around us, and for me, what I've got an eight-year-old boy here that I have an opportunity to teach and to show because we want to be compassionate, right? We want to give. We want to help those in need. 
We want to do those things. And so I have the opportunity to get this guy some gas. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, all right, buddy, I'm going to get you gas. But before I do that, I just, I just, this is what I wanted to tell you. The reason why I get to do that is because of what Jesus has done for me. Because let me tell you what I was like before Jesus. Get your own gas. Figure it out, bro. I work. You need to fi- get your job. That's my heart before Christ. But, dude, as a result of what Jesus has done to me, it's not my money anymore. It's not my agenda anymore. And so as a result of what Christ has done for me, man, I, I would be glad to help you out and get you some gas. So, so here you go, man. And I fill it up, and we can have a little conversation, and he drives off. But, but that's what I'm talking about. We've got to be intentional. Why? Because our testimony, us talking, our word affects. People see that. They're going to know whether or not we believe Jesus or we like Jesus or we're for Jesus. They know we're for Clemson. They know we're for Carolina. They know we're for all that stuff. But, but we have got to be intentional with our words. And so Jesus here is praying for the ones that will, will be believers, that will be disciples. And, and this, is, this is what he is going to pray for them about. So, so this, this, the recipients of this prayer is the believers to come, those who have put their faith, those of us in this room who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then this is what he says in verse 21, that they may all, who's the all here, all is those future believers, do what? Be one. This is unity. He wants us to be unified. That all of us who come to know Jesus will be one. How? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Uh. So, so he's praying that those of us who come to know Jesus will be one as he and the Father are one. They're not divided. They don't argue. They don't fight. They don't bicker. They don't disagree. They, they, they move in unison. I mean, you even see it through Jesus' life, through all of his miracles, everything that he does. He relies on the Father to move. God says, if you're willing to do this, and what happens? God blesses and moves. They're unified. So as I was reading this, as I was looking at this, I'm like, I'm like how, man, how, how can I illustrate this? What this is supposed to be like for us? Yeah. Play-Doh. You're welcome, kids. And some of you adult men. Play-Doh. So as I was thinking, the all here, or the, or the whenever he says that they all may be one believer, this, this, is, this is a believer. This, this is someone who doesn't quite know Jesus, but comes, now they come to, to know Jesus, and now they become a believer. But the problem is, they're by themselves out here, right? And I just want to warn you because I'm going to break a cardinal rule of parenting. I don't know if you're like me with kids. When I give these to my boys, the last thing you want to do is to mix these things, right? Oh, I don't know if there's anybody else out there that it kills, but it just, it destroys me. I'm like, oh, Bennett, no. Green and blue is now purple, maybe. Brownish purple. I don't know how it always goes brown, but, oh, so you've got this believer out there by himself. They come to know Jesus, but he wants this believer to be unified. So what happens is, is we've got somebody else that's a believer, that's a part of the family of God. And so now they're, they're believers. And what happens, you've got this believer. And what, what this scripture is saying is that, that, that God, that Jesus is praying that this believer and that this believer would come together. And that now what happens is that they become so intertwined that they become one, all circumference and all surrounded and in, ingrained in who Jesus is and who God is and that unity and that plurality and, and, and all of that, that, that. They're one now. Who would, like, who would like to divide this and get the green, just green, without throwing any of it away? Can you do that? I've never seen it done, and God bless the man that can. But then what happens is this. Now we've got a few believers like this, but what happens, there, there, comes, there comes some more. And so as they're, he's in there, I promise. 
Come on, buddy, you got saved. Come on out. They won't bite, I promise. See, there's shy believers everywhere, okay? So now they, and what happens is it just becomes more. And so now we've got all of these believers. And what's happening? They're, they're, they're one now, right? This is one, this one you want to you wanna break this thing up? I mean, do you want to try to separate it? And, and I just believe that this is, that this is what it should be like. It, and the core and the nucleus that holds this whole thing together is what? Is that of Jesus and God, their unity. They've modeled and they've shown us how they're one and how they interact, how they do. And man, at any time, you can see some purple in this. You can see some green. You can see some orange. And you're not separating this. And I just feel like when I read this and when I look at this, that they may all be one, all the believers, they, they become, this is one piece of Play-Doh now, right? Like this isn't multiple Play-Dohs. That they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The green is in the orange and the purple is in the orange and green. They're all together that, 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 that we may be one as the Father is, as, is in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. And then he gives the reason for that. He, he gives the reason for the need of this unity and this being one. And he, he says this as he continues that verse. And, and he says, says this, that the world... Who's the world? The world's lost, the lost folk. The people that don't believe in Jesus, whether hostile or not hostile toward, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what this does is it testifies and it points to and it shows the world that Jesus was sent by God. Us being in him and us being unified and one together and we're going to talk about that more here in a minute, what that means and what that looks like. But, but what does that do? It testifies to the world that, 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 that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is real, that God sent Jesus. And that's the whole purpose and the whole point. He says that's, his, that's what he's praying for us today, church, that our witness to this world is that we are in the Father and in the Son and that the world seeing and experiencing that might come to believe in Jesus, may come to know Christ as a result of that. And so hear me, this is vastly more than just can't we all just get along it's so much deeper than that, or, or just even being related through a common organization. It's so much greater than even that. This type of unity, what it does is it shines with a particular glory for the world to see as the Father and the Son is the most important and vital thing in our life. And we submit and we come up under the headship of Christ. And so our unity needs to resemble that of Jesus and the Father. Jesus and the Father, he goes on verse 22 and says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may uh, be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So what we see here in the Gospel of John is that, that this no, not only invites the world to believe the Gospel, but, but even in this prayer, there's evangelistic purpose. But even more, it points to the proof of Jesus. Jesus in his prayer wants us to prove and show this world that he's real. That he is who he says he is, that God has sent him. If Jesus' prayer is answered, then the world itself will learn that God sent him. And I have no doubt that the prayer of Jesus was heard, received, and it will be answered. So all this is the purpose of the prayer that us, his disciples, may be one. That we may be unified. 
And so we cannot forget that this unity for which Jesus praises is entangled with the display of this incredible truth of the Father's love, of, of how he loves Jesus and how his followers just as, just the same as Jesus loves us, just like God loves him. God loves us just like God loves Jesus. That's what he says. Look, look again right here in verse 23 at the end. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Who's the them? Those believers, those of us who will come to believe that, that, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I just want to tell you this morning, Jesus, Jesus loves you. God loves you more than you'll ever know. And, and I don't know if you caught what he just said, but I just want to sit here for a moment and let that sink in and let you just meditate on that for a moment. That what Jesus says in his prayer is that God loves us even as he loves Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? And that God loves you, God loves me, and God moves in love toward us. Because I believe if, the, if, if we would just rest in that and realize that, I mean, that would be a game changer in our life. The fact that God loves us like he loves Jesus so, so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're watching this morning, tuning in, but, but if you struggle with believing that you're loved or you're valued or you're wanted or you have purpose, here it is. So much so that Jesus prays. So we'll be reminded 2,000 years later that, that God loves us the way that he loves his son. And so I'm not sure if you've ever been told that growing up. I'm not sure if you've ever walked in that or if you ever know that, but please know that God loves you with this ferocious love that he has for his son. And he's praying that in that great truth, that reality, us being unified, found in him, and us experiencing and walking in that love, that we'll prove and we'll show to this world of who he truly is. That, that's what he's praying. And he goes on in verse 24 and says this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that, that you have given because you love me before the very foundation of the world. There's that eternal part again. Jesus is kind of doing that. I'm already, but not quite yet. That there yet. He wants his disciples with him, and he knows that they will be, but 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 they're not there yet because while they're, they're going to be back here. And then what we're going to see is this: is that he's going to summarize his prayer, and he's going to close with this reality of this great love of God being made known in Jesus and God being one. Look at verse 25, where he says, "This, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these." Uh, know that you have sent me and I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this eternal love of the Father that he's pouring out here that he's sharing with us rests first in that of Christ and then by his spirit is imparted and takes up permanent, permanent residence in us that believe And so what do we need to do with that? We need to make known Jesus. We need to speak of we, our testimony, our word. We need to make him known. And then we need to let God's love rule our lives. We need to let it be evident in our lives. It needs to be displayed in our unity, in our, our togetherness, in our oneness. I mean, you see that throughout the scripture. The church is a family. The church is the bride. The church is a, a body. The church is a fellowship. The church is a community. We've got to be together. We've got to be unified. We've got to be one in Christ. We've got to do and act and be as Christ would do and act and be. 
That's what he called us to. And he says, when we do that, this world will know that Jesus was sent by God. This world will know. So as the band comes back up, what we see here is we just catch a glimpse into the last moments of Jesus' life. Man, as he has this conversation with his father. I mean, think for a moment how personal and intimate prayer is. And what is recorded here is us being able to step into for a moment and hear, hear this prayer, this heart cry of our Savior with his Father. So this is some of the most glorious sentiment ever uttered on mortal lips. But hardly has the sound of his last words ever faded away. When he passes with the disciples through Gethsemane and there that bitter conflict draws on, the seed of the new world must be sown in death so that life may spring up. And just before that dreadful moment, Jesus pauses and he prays for his disciples. And he prays for his disciples that would come moments, years, decades, millennia as a result of the word of his current disciples. And so I want to ask you a few questions this morning as we close. The first one is this. Do you live out that reality of what Jesus prayed for there in verse 20. Do you live it out? Are you by your words pointing people to Jesus? Are you by your actions showing unity within the family? Unity with, within Jesus? Are you talking and telling? Is there intentionality? Maybe a better way to, to say it is this. Who have you talked to about Jesus this week? Who have you had an intentional conversation with? About Jesus this week? And who have you told, whose, whose gas tank have you filled up? Whose neighbor have you went over and visited? What staff person or, or co-worker have you talked to and, and shared how great and glorious Jesus is? Because I'm pretty sure you probably talked about that earthquake. Or maybe about the fact that the Big Ten, they're not even going to play football this year. That's not American. How crazy, Clemson and South Carolina, they got it right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what have you talked about this week? That in the grand scheme of things adds up to nothing that gives no life, and the only purpose is to entertain for a moment. The second question I ask you is this, does the world know about Jesus as a result of you being unified in the body of Christ? Does the world, are they aware of Jesus because this is what you're like right here? Because you're one in him, and you're one in the body. You're unified, you're together for the purpose of what sharing and making known the glory and grandeur of our God. Are they aware of that? Do they know? Because, church, the world needs to know that we're unified. The world needs to know that we're together. The world needs to know that we care for and love each other. How? Like Christ cares for and loves us. They need to know that. Why? Because we live in a world that's not unified on anything, is it? I mean, even within the body. There's so much disunity. There's so much destruction. There's so much tearing down. There's so much bless their little hearts. There's, there's so much of that craziness that, that divides and separates. And the world sees that and is aware of that because that's the way the world is. So if we're ever going to reach the world, we've got to be unified. We've got to be together under the banner of who Christ is and what he's called us to. And the last thing I would ask you is this. Have you rested in the reality that God loves you like he loves his son? I don't know about for you, but when I read that this week, when I looked at that and I tried to think about the reality of what Jesus just prayed for and just said, that's like a warm blanket on a cold night. To think that Jesus prays that we would know that God the Father loves us the way that he loves his son. And if you're a parent, 
I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to explain it. But there is just something that you have for your kids that is unmatched, hopefully other than Jesus, that is unmatched by anything else in this world. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But all I know is this, is that whenever you have that, and to think for a moment that the God of the universe loved His Son, and that kind of love is for us as well, I don't know what that does to you in your heart, in your soul, maybe in a a moment of mourning, a moment of desperation, a moment of uncertainty. I don't know what that does for you, but whenever I read that and I thought about that and I meditated on that a little bit, the fact that God the Father loves me the way that He loves His Son rocked my world this week. It crushed me. Because the thing that blows me away with this love of God, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy. Jesus never sinned. Scott's not. Scott is far from it. Scott is the opposite. Scott needs the Savior. Jesus didn't need a Savior. He was the Savior, and the Father loved him. So, so that love, yeah, I get that. But the fact that he would love me in my, even in my struggle, even in my weakness, even in my blowing it, he would love me even in my obedience. He would love me even, even though that I would slip up and that I would mess up or I would talk harshly or I'd act like this or I would react that way or I'd have that thought run through my mind. And he sees and he knows all of that and he still loves me. How? The way that he loves his son Jesus. And you don't step in between that love of, of God the Father toward his son Jesus rocked my world this week. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God stirred in your heart as a result of his proclaimed word, but may you never, ever forget. And may you feel the weight of this prayer as the very Son of God prays and pours out his heart for those of us even 2,000 years later that would come to know his Son and walk in relationship with his Son. And may we see this and may we understand at a greater level the love of God for us the need for prayer, our dependency on Jesus and our unity together as the body. Father, help us this morning in this place. God, as the band leads us, I pray, God, this morning, maybe for that heart here that, uh, God, that knows you, but maybe isn't walking in that love, or maybe, God, even that heart here that's aware of you but has never entered into relationship with you. Father, I pray, God, that this morning you stir and that you draw. Father, I pray, God, that this morning we'd be unified. God, even though we are separated right now in different ways and because of different things, Father God, that that we would continue even to walk in the unity of who you are and what you expect of us. Jesus, help us be more intentional with sharing who you are. God, just do a work here in this place this morning as a result of your word. God, I pray. Oh God, I pray. It's in your name. Amen. The band's going to lead us. If you want to come pray, you come pray. I'll be down here. We can talk. If you have more questions about what it means to be a disciple, follower of Jesus, would love to have that conversation. But you stand and you worship as God leads.